0: Hey there, I'm Joey Dean, lead pastor of South Lakes Church in Oklahoma City. At South Lakes Church, we exist to be radically devoted to God, relentlessly committed to true community, and remarkably passionate for the lost. We hope your faith is strengthened and you grow closer to Jesus as you listen this morning. Now let's jump into this week's message. Welcome, morning church. Yeah, that crying kid during baby vacation, that's the pastor's kid. So, what do you do, right? I guess it is what it is. So, hey, are everyone doing well this morning? Ooh, okay. Well, I'll take your word for it, I guess. Hey, I'm going to give you a couple announcements real quick. Our longest tradition of our young six year old church is coming up in three weeks called Pumpkin Fest. Pumpkin Fest is we literally started with the 30, 40 of us adults. We were out in that field as this building that we're in right now was under construction and we had some inflatable set up and we grilled some hot dogs and we invited all the neighbors to come and it has grown every year. And um, and so we are excited that it's coming up in three weeks on October 17th, but it's one of those events that we call an all hands on deck event, meaning that it takes everyone to help out. And so we need a minimum of at least 100 volunteers volunteers, and so you can QR code it there. There's a table out front that you can QR code. Something that we always like to offer is that every year we want to give a free serving t-shirt To our SL family. And so we had Serve Sunday back in March. And if you served at that, you got a shirt like that. Whoa, where'd it go? You got a shirt like that, but it was like bluish gray. So if you didn't, if you were not here for Serve Sunday, or if you did not get one of those shirts, when you sign up, there's an opportunity for you to, I think it click a box or something, and you can sign up for that shirt. If you're like, oh, but I like the red one better, tough. No, I'm just joking. You what you can do is you can actually pay if you already have a a, a blue one. You can pay, it's $10 for that shirt But we need to get those orders in ASAP Alright, but it's going to take a lot of people Also, just as a reminder Our companion Bible study is out there Over the names of God for this week And so make sure that you take one of those It's got five scriptures on there That um, you can follow along with this week Alright, I'm done I hate doing announcements, they're horrible Hey, let's get to preaching, alright Let's pray Alright, everyone, if you bow your heads and close your eyes I'm going to ask everyone to pray Two prayers this morning in your hearts. Would you pray this prayer first? Would you say, God, help me to be present in this moment? And then would you pray, God, will you speak to me personally this morning? And Father, we come to you this morning, and my prayer is that this prayer is not just empty words, that we say in our mind and we never mean with our heart. God, I pray that you would take these two prayers, God, and that we would mean them sincerely and that we truly would be here in this moment. And God, that you would speak into each individual heart language that's represented in this room as everyone's coming in with their own good weeks or bad weeks. And you know, you know them intimately, you know them personally because you knitted them together in their mother's womb. You know every hair on their head. You know. And so, God, you desire to speak to them this morning. And so, God, would you speak into our heart language this morning, and may we leave this place changed forever. And we pray this in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, I mean hey why don't you grab a Bible if you will We're in the second book of the Bible Which is Exodus, Exodus chapter 15 If you don't have a Bible you're going to need one You can grab one in the seat in front of you Uh, We don't put the scriptures up on the screen Because we want you to see with your own eyeballs That I'm not making this stuff up Also you can always use version. Everything's on there, all the scriptures and all that kind of stuff Also hopefully you were handed sermon notes On the way in this morning You're going to want to jot some things down As this is week three of our series Called The Names of God And this series is really less about about learning the names of God as it is learning about the attributes that make up who God is and so every week we're just seeing a name that God personally identifies with or a name that someone attributes to God after he's done something so very quickly first week we learned when God spoke to Moses out of a bush his personal name which is Yahweh or Jehovah or in your Bibles it's going to be the Lord when it's in all caps it's used over 6,800 times in the Bible it's God's personal name and we learned that what this means is that God is consistent and he's unchanging last week we learned That God introduced himself to Abraham as El Shaddai, which means God Almighty. And what we learned last week is that God can do anything and everything that he desires as long as it's consistent with his character. Meaning, God is just, he is righteous, he is holy, and he can never do anything that will violate those three things. He can't do anything that's unjust, unrighteous, or unholy. It's got to stay consistent with his character. So today in Exodus 15, we're jumping into the middle of a story, which is always dangerous to do. And so let me give you a little bit background story so that when we jump in, you know, ah, this is where we are. So Exodus is all about the deliverance of God's people from slavery from Egypt and then him setting up the nation of Israel, all right? And so the Jews, two and a half million plus Jews, have been enslaved by the Egyptians for over 400 years. And God comes to Moses in a bush and says, you're going to go back to Egypt. You're going to go tell Pharaoh, let my people go, right? And then then he's not going to listen. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to send 10 plagues down, And those plagues are going to devastate uh, Egypt. It's going to tear their land apart. It's going to tear apart their crops. It's going to kill their cattle. It's going to decimate their buildings. We're going to completely tear them down. And finally, on the 10th plague, when I kill every firstborn who doesn't have the blood of the lamb over their door, Pharaoh will let you go. And Pharaoh does. He wakes up to the death of his own child. And he releases Two and a half million Jews, and for the first time in their lives, they walk out of Egypt free men and women. And just a few days into their journey, they hit a roadblock. Literally, they hit a sea. It's the Red Sea. And they can't turn back because Pharaoh's mad, because all of his free labor is gone. And so they so they have Pharaoh's army coming behind him, and they've got the Red Sea in front of them. And so what does Moses do? He says, calm down and watch God be God, because he is El Shaddai. Amen. He's God Almighty and it says that uh, while they slept at night that there was a strong easterly wind and it parted the Red Sea so they woke up and they walked through the middle of the Red Sea. And when Pharaoh's army chased after them God unparted the Red Sea and completely wiped out Pharaoh's army. And what happens in Exodus 15 is a worship service breaks out. And they're singing, and they're dancing, and they're just singing shouts of praise to God. And where we are picking up is after the worship service. And we're going to begin reading in Exodus chapter 15, beginning in verse 22. So it says, Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days in the wilderness, and they found no water." And when they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses saying, what shall we drink? So I want you to imagine this huge worship service of two and a half million plus freed men and women. And they're three days in and all of a sudden they go, man, we are thirsty. The problem is that they're in the middle of a wilderness, and a wilderness isn't exactly an environment where drinking water is flowing in abundance. In fact, it's a place of blistering heat. It's a place of parched lips. And so what happens is that when Israel arrives at this place called Mara, they finally find some water, but it's bitter. And we don't know exactly what that means. It's polluted in some way. Maybe it was bacterially infested. I'm sure that it probably stanketh in some way. It just was not good drinking water. And so what happens is that two and a half million dancers and singers and praise singers become silent. And instead they begin to complain. And they go, well, I guess God wasn't going to kill us by drowning us in the sea. I guess he's going to kill us by dehydrating us. And so they turn to their leader, and they complain because they're in a discouraging situation. It's that classic, hey, what, God, have you done for me lately? Last week we talked about that we always have to constantly be reminded about who God is and what he's done because we are a very forgetful people, and it's very easy for the present circumstances to overshadow what's God done in the past. So three days earlier, they walked through the middle of a stinking sea, and they watched the destruction of their enemy, and now it wasn't enough. Because they were in a new predicament and they had forgotten about the God that had done those things and they turned to, well, God, what are you going to do now? So let's look in verse 25. It says, so Moses cried to the Lord and the Lord showed him a log or some of your translations may say tree and he threw it into the water and the water became sweet And there the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. And then they came to Elam, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees, and they encamped there by the water." So amid all of the complaining, Moses does the only thing that he can do. He cries out to the Lord and says, what am I going to do? And God says, hey, look at that tree next to you. And Moses is like, this tree? And he's like, yeah, that tree. What do you want me to do? Cut that baby down and throw it in the water. And Moses is like, what? I'm sorry, what? Yeah, cut that tree down, throw it in the water. So he does. And the water becomes sweet. And it's at this point that God introduces himself In an entirely new way to his people in the end of verse 26, he says, I am Jehovah Rapha. Which if you're taking notes this morning, this is where it starts coming into play. Jehovah Rapha literally means the Lord who heals. The Lord who heals. And so we see that God is using the bitter water in Marah to teach his people that I desire to be your healer but did you notice he says something else before he introduces himself as Jehovah Rapha let's go back to verse 25 so Moses cries to the Lord God says cut the tree down throw it in the water and then it says at the tail end of verse 25 it says and there the Lord made for them a statute and a rule and there he tested them saying, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, then I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am Jehovah Rapha. So we see here that God seems to be linking two what we would say seemingly non-connectable traits together. And he connects together that I want to be your healer, but it's connected to obedience. So we see a connection that ties healing and obedience together. And God says, listen, I want to heal you if you walk in accordance with my commandments and my statutes. And he uses the one example that the, that the Israelites would know very well. He says, look at Egypt. If you follow me, what happened to the Egyptians will not happen to you okay well, what happened to the Egyptians well they did not serve God as the one true God in fact they believed in the pantheon of gods there was gods for everything even Pharaoh himself was a god and because of that their heart had become corrupted and hard-hearted and they did not believe in Yahweh and so what does God do he does he softens their heart by sending 10 plagues. Now we don't have time to get into it, but every plague that God sends to, down on the Egyptians is a direct attack on one of the 10 gods that the Egyptians worshiped. And it's like God saying, you follow this God? Well, let me show you what a real God does. And he decimates what that God is supposed to be over. And he says, listen, don't be like the Egyptians. I want you to be different. It's almost like God is teaching his people at Mara this. He's saying, listen, if you follow my teaching, then I'm going to heal your bodies, your emotions, your relationships, your circumstances. However, if you choose to walk in the ways of this world, like Egypt did. You remember Egypt, that place of bondage and captivity? Yeah, if you walk like them, then I cannot promise you that you will be immune from the world's diseases. Now, I am not a name it, proclaim it kind of preacher, so if you're here for that, I'm sorry. You're gonna leave this place very disappointed. Because when we read this text, God is not making a guarantee to his people that they will never get sick or that they will always be immune from disease. That's not what he's saying at all. In fact, God is actually not talking about sickness here, the sickness that might come with old age or with eating unhealthy Or just with pollutants in the air and what it does to our bodies or whatever. God is talking about a sickness that comes from rebellion against his ways and his commandments. And that's different. Because believe it or not, there are diseases and there are sicknesses that can do way greater damage than cancer can. Than diabetes can. Than heart disease can. And and shocker than even COVID can. There are things that can do much greater damage than those things. Now, we say, well, well, are you saying God can't physically heal me? Absolutely not. He can absolutely heal you. He is El Shaddai. But when you read God's word, the number one thing you have to be careful not to do, and we really stink at this in the West, is you can't take a text out of context and make it be what you want it to be. You have to read it and say, what does it mean in context? Because that's the universal truth that transcends all of time. So what is the burden of the text? What is God trying to say? And this is what God is trying to teach his people. If you, as my people, walk in the ways of the world, it will always lead to you having a sin-sick soul. In fact, let's say that all together, sin-sick soul on the count of three. One, two, three. Oh, I love it. This part was like sin sick soul. This part was sin sick soul. I'm sorry. I'll do it with you. Here we go. One, two, three. Sin sick soul. I love it. And that's what God is saying. If you walk in the ways of the world like the Egyptians did, then you will have a sin sick soul. Now, what is God meaning here? Well, he's simply trying to teach his people that there is nothing in this world that can offer us soul enriching satisfaction. Now, don't get me wrong, the world can offer us temporary satisfaction. For example, pornography does that. Like, if I look at a computer screen, or if I look at my phone, or if I look at a magazine, then I can temporarily have physical satisfaction. The problem is that that will soon subside, and I will have to go back to the source for which my temporary satisfaction was founded. This world can bring us temporary joy. You can get a pay raise and you can be like, I'm gonna go spend that money, 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 money. But then what happens is that you elevate what you like. You go out to eat more. All of a sudden, that money, 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 money doesn't satisfy you anymore. You don't have as much joy. All of a sudden, you want more money. You can have a temporary sense of hope and say, Well, this is what I'm gonna find my hope in. And it may last for a little bit and it will soon fade. See, here's the thing. When our soul is sick with sin, it can do lots of things to us that we might not realize. Number one, did you know that sin can mess up your mind? It can really mess you up, guys. And let's not even get started on the emotional life. Like, you can be emotionally unhealthy when you have a sin-sick soul so let's just let's just land on that for a second right let's just land on a, a messed up life or a mind i mean or an emotional unhealthy life let's just what what can that lead to well it can lead to destruction of relationships it can lead to us making poor choices as individuals did you know that a sin sick soul can lead to financial repercussions where you can dig yourself such a big hole that you don't know if you can ever get out of Sin sick soul will always affect how you respond to life circumstances. It will. Because a sin sick soul will destroy you from the inside out. And what God is saying is this healing is yours as my people if you listen to my voice and do what's right. In my sight, God is making a promise. I will be your Jehovah Ratha. I will heal you. I will heal your nation of Israel if you trust and obey me. So, one of my Hebrews of the faith is a, is a German theologian by the name of Karl Barth. Now, he's long since passed, but he says this, and I think this is so true. He says, We live in a sick old world which cries out of its deepest need Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed all men and women, whoever and wherever and whatever and however they may be, there is a longing need to be healed. Let's churchify this a little bit. There's a God-sized hole inside of every person that only God can fill. That's what Carl Barton is saying here. And I agree, there's a lot of people on planet earth now, right, a lot. And everyone knows in some way or another that something's just not right. And Karl Barth would say, they're crying out to be healed. And Jehovah Rapha says, I'm here. I'm here. I am offering you healing. But you are not walking in the ways that I'm telling you, you should be walking. Now, word of caution here. You got to be very careful that we don't treat what I'm saying here as, hey God, if I scratch your back, then will you scratch my back? Like the more obedient that I get... Does that mean that the less bad things will happen with me? Because the reality is that the Bible never says that, right? You can completely walk closely with the Lord. You can completely trust him. You can be walking in complete obedience, and you can still experience suffering. You can still experience trials. You can still experience all of those things, which leads us to the question, well, then what is exactly is the purpose in the lives of God's people of suffering, and trials. What's the purpose of it? I want you to see something. Go back to your Exodus 15 passage. We're going to look in verse 25 again. That second sentence says, there the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and then it says, and there he tested them. That's interesting. Let's play the what-if game. What if after three days, they come to Moses and they go, Hey, we're thirsty. And Moses is like, Well, hey, we're coming up on the, the area of Marah. There's a there's a spring there, and when they get there, it's not bitter. It's 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 sweet. And they just they consume the water. What if no tree had to be cut down? What if God didn't have to flex his muscles and show that he was El Shaddai and sweeten those bitter waters? What if God never would have had the opportunity to teach them that obedience and healing go hand in hand? What would happen? Because when I read this, it says, and there he tested them. It's almost like God's taking credit. God's like, yeah, I put you in this situation. Why? Hello, these are your people, 400 years of slavery. Like, they probably would like a little bit of a reprieve here. Why? So last week, when we were looking at El Shaddai, Um, we looked at a writing that Paul did to the church of Corinth. In some of his last words in 2 Corinthians 12, he says this. We're going to put it up on the screen. Uh, Paul says this, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh. Now, let's just pause right there for a second. Now, theologians argue back and forth on what's this thorn in the flesh. Is it... Is it someone that literally is following him around and causing uh, turmoil in all of Paul's ministry? Some people think that it was his eyes. Paul definitely had bad eyesight. Was it glaucoma? Was it cataracts? We don't know. But Paul is saying, God has given me this thorn in the flesh. Let's keep on going here. A messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. So three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave. And so this is what God's response was. But God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast, this is Paul saying, all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So Paul says, listen, God, I know that you gave me this thorn in the flesh, and I hate it. And I want you to remove it. In fact, he says he begged him three times to take him away. But what we see in the text is that God provided the thorn in the flesh to remind Paul, hey, buddy, you need to trust me. You need to turn to me. You need to lean on me. Why would God lead his people to the land of Marah? Well, I'll tell you why. It's the same reason that, that there's troubles and, and suffering or, or, or uh trials that happen in yours and my life if you're a believer this morning the maras of life guys are meant to do one thing it's meant to drive us closer to Jesus so the bitterness of life when you are just up against the the red seas in front of you and Pharaoh's army is behind you and you literally don't know what to do anymore those moments are meant to drive you closer to Jesus let's keep playing the what if game what if a child of God never experienced any trials? And what if a child of God never experienced any headache or heartache and everything just always went, as, as, my, as my grandma would say, hunky-dory? Like, what, what would happen if that would always be the case? Well, I would say that that believer would never turn to God because, after all, their eternity is secure and life is just grand. And they would become harsh and they would become untender to those around them. I would argue that they would grow maybe brutal and coarse and hardened of heart. But worst of all, they would never learn to trust Jesus in their daily life because life is going really well. And you go, I don't think I like this sermon, Pastor. It's kind of like spades. So I love spades. I mean, I love spades. My dad... um, taught me at a young age uh, how to play spades. Uh, My dad taught me how to count cards, which people hate that. My dad was that player where when you got down to a handful of cards, he would look at you and say, hey, why don't you just play your three of clubs? And they would hate it because that's what they would play. And I used to sit back and go, I'll never be that guy. And now I am that guy because my dad taught me how to be that guy. And so I'm, I'm the jerk that no one plays spades with anymore. So I have spades on my phone. In fact, every night I play a couple, two or three rounds of spades. I'm laying in bed, I open up spades and it just kind of calms me down. It helps me shut down from the day. Um, And the thing is that when I play spades on my phone, I take wild like chances. So like, for example, we may come around and it's my turn and I'll go blind kneel. So if you don't know spades, blind kneel is simply saying this. I haven't looked at my cards yet and I'm going to say that I'm not going to win any tricks or I'm not going to win any cards. And so when I do that, the cards will flip over and there may be an ace of spades there. Now in spades, ace of spades is the highest card. It it always has to win. Well, you you cannot win a card because you have the highest card. So you know what I do when I play on my phone? I reset the game and I start over again. <laughs> I do. Do you know why? Because I'm in control. Because the three partners that I'm playing with are people made up on my phone. Seriously, I, 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 pray, I, I play with Oprah <laughs> and, and Watson and Ed. That's what the three players that I play with. I don't know why I named those three players. I did a long time ago. They're not real. And so I can reset. Now, if I'm playing in real life, so one of my best friends in the world is Mike Din. He's over here. And let's say that Mike and I play card. We've never played spades before in my life. I don't even know if, if he's not good, he's not going to be my partner. But let's just say that Mike's really good, all right? So, uh, so let's say that I go blind kneel with Mike and I flip the card over and I have the ace of spades. You know what I can't do in that instant? I can't start over. Do you know why? Because I'm in the midst of the game and I have a partner and I'm, we're playing against real people. See, there's consequences Right? I, I just can't push reset. But if I lived my life where I could always hit reset when things were going wrong, I would never need God because I'm in charge. Because I've got this. Because on my phone, I can hit back and say new game and there's no consequences. There are consequences in life. There are times when we are thrown curveballs, And why? Because God is throwing them at us. Why? Because he wants us to learn To lean into Jesus, to lean into what he's doing. One of the greatest benefits in a believer's life in walking through difficult times, learning to lean into the Lord, to walk in obedience, to experience Jehovah Rapha is this, is that it produces the fruit of the Spirit in your life. You go, what is the fruit of the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit is something that only believers can have, all right? I'm talking about true all the way as God intends them to be. It's in Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's how we teach our kids. It's a little song. So when you're going through difficult times as a believer, the Lord wants to grow these fruits. So let's say that he wants to grow you in being patient. Well, nothing teaches you to be patient than when you're ready for God to move on something and you're sitting up anxious at night and God says, nah, not ready. You can wait a little bit more. Nothing teaches you to be more faithful than when you've exhausted all other options and you have no other option than to trust in him and you learn, okay, God, I need you to be faithful in this moment. Nothing teaches you joy or contentment is another way to put it than when you are thrown curveball after curveball and you discover I need to be content in this moment. See, that leads me to one other thing that trials and sufferings and Mara, the maras of life, does. Did you notice that the same water that was bitter, God made those same, the exact same water, sweet? And the reason is because God is trying to teach us that He can take our trials or our sufferings or our maras as believers, and He can make them become more pleasant to us. And you go, what does that mean? It means that you begin to look at the maras of life, this bitter situations of life in different ways. Let's go back to to Paul. Paul tells the church in Corinth, man, I hate this. I've got this this messenger from Satan. God's giving me this thorn in the flesh. I'm crying out. And then in chapter, in in verse uh, uh, nine, uh, this is what God reminds uh, Paul of. He says, hey, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. And Paul changes his entire tune and he goes, okay, well, here's the thing. I don't have to like what I'm going through. I don't have to agree with the ways that you're going about it, but I'm going to boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. He says, all right, I don't have to like what's happening to me right now, but I'm going to trust in God. Why? Why? Because when I am weak, he is strong. And that is what God wants us to learn. When we are weak and we don't know what to do, we lean into the Lord. And the Lord's like, that's all I needed. I needed you to know that you aren't top dog and that you don't have this, but I do. But I do. And I need you to be content with that. And that's what he's trying to teach the Israelites. Listen, don't turn to the ways of the world. It's going to lead to sin sickness, and it's going to lead to a whole host of problems that's going to make dehydration look like nothing. I'm Jehovah Rapha. I am Jehovah Rapha. See, the will of God will never lead his people to a place where the grace of God cannot keep them. Where God takes you down the path, whatever that is, I promise you the grace of God is going to be there with you. That's because the remedy to whatever ails you is grace. The remedy is grace. You know the tree that we read about that Moses cut down in verse 25, did you know it, it's symbolic of something? The tree at Mara is actually symbolic of the cross of Christ. It is. It points us to Jesus. Because only Jesus can take away the bitterness of life, and only Jesus can heal the bitterness of life with the sweetness of grace and mercy. 1 Peter 2.24, it's up on the screen. Peter tells us this. He himself, speaking of Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you have been healed. The cross, just like the tree in Exodus 15, can transform the bitter waters of sin in your life into the sweet waters of God's redemption. Because it's on the cross that everything was paid for. It's on the cross that ultimate healing is found. It's on the cross that the exact opposite of a sin-sick life is found. It's a holistic life that looks to bring God glory. Our healing is related as believers in Christ to what Christ accomplished on the cross. And the cross is the only thing that can heal us from the sickness of sin. Let's just, I, I mean, I wrote down so many. Let's, let's, just, let's just go through them. Let's for funsies. Let's just, let's just go through it. The cross can heal us from. It can heal you from the disease of pride. Anyone suffer with that? What about lust? Greed? Hate? A little bit of prejudice Maybe. What about idolatry? What about hatred? What about contentions or selfish ambitions or jealousies? What about ad- ad- adultery? What about a little murder or divisions? Do you know the cross can heal you from those things? It can. You know what else the cross can heal you from? The guilt that sin brings. The guilt that sin brings. You know, when you do something and you know it's wrong and, and the Lord's gnawing at you, but you do it anyway, and after you're done, yeah, you might feel satisfaction because you did what you wanted, but deep down you're like, oh, I just can't, I feel dirty. I just feel dirty. Do you know the cross can heal you from that? You can take the bitterness of the sin that you willingly walked into I can turn it sweet through redemption. God's saying, okay, I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to fix this. Not because you're awesome, but because Jesus is taking care of it. We have this term in church, it's called the backslider, right? The backslider is, and maybe this describes some of you, I don't know. It's the person that says, I love Jesus, but their life never shows it, and they don't act like it, and they don't go to church, or they don't read their Bible, and they're, they're backslidden. Do you know the cross can heal the backslider from his or her backsliding? The cross can heal the brokenhearted. You know what the cross did for me and my wife? I've shared this, but we've got a lot of new people here in the moment when my wife gave birth to our 15-week-old son who had passed away in the womb, in that moment, do you know the cross can heal two broken people that are looking at their baby boy? It doesn't bring joy, but brings peace. Peace. So much so that the nurses are worried for you because you're not grieving the way that everyone else grieves. The cross brings healing because God is Jehovah Rapha. The cross can give recovery of sight to those who become blinded by sin. Because the cross invites us to repent of our sin. We're not a very smart people. We lasted th- three whole, two whole chapters before we introduced sin into the world, Adam and Eve. And that tasting of that fruit polluted the water of life. And the problem is that that polluted water now spreads like a disease all throughout humanity. And we keep drinking it. And it's more bitter. And it never fully satisfies and we always want more. That's why the porn addict always goes back for more. Because if they were fully satisfied to begin with, they'd be one and done. Just doesn't satisfy. That's why when Jesus comes into the, into the scene, he describes himself as living water. In fact, he has a conversation with this woman. Man, she is a loser in the, in the eyes of the world. Man, she really is. She'd been married a whole bunch of times. She was shacked up with a guy that wasn't even her husband. She was so embarrassed by who she was that she went to get water in the heat of the day when women would typically go in the early morning so the sun wouldn't beat down on them. And you know who was waiting to meet her at the well? Jesus. And this loser of a woman in the eyes of the world rolls up on the scene with her bucket. I can see her I, I don't know why, but I can picture this woman very clearly in my mind. I can just see her distraught. I can see the bags under her eyes. I can see her shoulders slumped over as she walks in her shame, knowing that this isn't when I should be getting water, but yet this is when I, I'm allowed to, because this is when the other women won't be there heckling me. And she rolls up and Jesus starts talking to her, and she goes, "Whoa, first off, I'm a loser." Secondly, you're a man, and you should not be talking to me. And Jesus is like, let's talk. And Jesus says this in John chapter 4. Jesus says to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty. Again, he's speaking of the water in the well. But then Jesus says this life-giving statement. He says, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. See, the tree that Moses threw into the water that made the water sweet, it points us to Jesus because Jesus is the one who makes it possible for Jehovah Rapha because he's taken all the punishment. He's taken all the shame. He's taken all the sin and he's paid for it so what do we do with this like all right I thought we were Jehovah Rapha I thought we were going to talk about healing from cancer and and all this and you know what God can do all that stuff but when we read it in context context says that Jesus is way more interested in healing what's inside who cares if Jesus heals you of your cancer if your if your soul rots in hell who cares so what you can boast for another 40 years so that you can stand before the Lord someday in judgment and say, well, depart from me. I never knew you. God's like, listen, healing from cancer is easy. Breathing life into dead man's bones, now that's a miracle. That is something that only God can do because I am Jehovah Rapha. So what do we do? What do we do? You're sitting here, let's say you're a believer, and you're in the middle of a Mara situation, the bitterness, and maybe you are bitter because maybe you're like the, the children of Israel. You're just, you're just complaining. What do you do? Well, I think we go back and we see how Moses handled it because I think Moses handled it really well, actually. I, I don't know if I could have ever done any better than Moses. Moses was a very godly man who knew what to do. So the first thing that we do when you're faced with Mara is this. Take your case to God in prayer. That's the first thing Moses did. He's got two and a half million people whining to him. And so he cries out to the Lord. He cries out to the Lord. And I find that really interesting because I don't think our natural response to cry out to the Lord. So I watched the OU game last night and I listened to the student section cry, give us uh, Caleb, give us Caleb, the, the second stringer. You know, the most popular person on the football team is always the backup quarterback. Always this. And they interviewed. they interviewed him later. And they said, What did you think about that? And they go, Well, they're not on the field. It's not affecting me at all. And, uh, and I'm like, Bro, that is affecting you. I see it all over your face. How can it not affect you when your fans are yelling, Bench me, <laughs> and put the other guy in? I think it would have been really easy for Moses to be like, Yeah, where is God that delivered us three days ago? He's going to kill us. What is he doing here? But he doesn't, he cries out to God we start with taking our case to God in prayer I love what one theologian in a textbook put he said you know in all trials the surest way to a remedy is prayer one of my other heroes of the faith is a gentleman by the name of Charles Spurgeon he's since passed as well he was pastor in in London back in the day and he says this about prayer man I wish my attitude about prayer was this He said, the bow of prayer returns not empty. It is swifter than an eagle, and it is stronger than a lion. Man, if I had that attitude every time I hit my face and prayed, Mm. man, that's the kind of attitude about prayer that moves mountains. Take your case to God in prayer. Here's the second thing that I think that we would learn from this is this. We should expect the unexpected. We should expect the unexpected. You know that tree that God showed Moses to cut down? It had been growing there for years next to that bitter water source, but it had been growing for the purpose of that moment. May I suggest that God has a remedy for all of our troubles before they ever happen to us? He does. Jesus' disciples were whining one day and they're like, Jesus, where are you going? What are we gonna do without you? And Jesus looks at them and goes, guys, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna prepare a place for you. John 14, he says it. I'm gonna go prepare a place for you. I'm gonna get heaven ready for you. Do you think that if Jesus is taking all this time to prepare a place for us in eternity, doesn't it make sense that he's probably prepared the path that he's placed us on as well? He's probably prepared that path as well. And he's, he has solutions or answers, and they may come in the most unexpected ways. Yes, maybe it's not what we expected, but you can be guaranteed that the morrows of life are going to cause you to trust in him more along the way and to grow in the fruit of the Spirit. This is the last thing, that, and then we'll be done. Take your case to God in prayer. Expect the unexpected. And last but not least, walk in obedience. God's desire was always for his people to walk in obedience. And we know what that means in 2021 is he wants us to grow in the fruit of the Spirit and to trust in him fully. And the only way that we grow in the fruit of the Spirit and that we can trust in him fully is if we follow through in obedience when we come to a place and we go listen i know this doesn't make sense to the world but this is just how i'm living my life this is how i'm going to do it and you're like the book is antiquated why would you do with the bible because in it is living water it is it's 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 the source of all hope that i have and i'm going to follow in obedience I want you to look, look back in the text, look in verse 27, after he introduces himself as Jehovah Rapha, then verse 27 says, and then they came to Elam, so Elam was 20 kilometers away, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. Man, God does not desire for us to stay in this place of Marah forever. And so after the people said, all right, I got to trust you. God set this statute. God says, all right, let's go down the road. Remember how I said the wilderness is not a place where water is flowing? Apparently, I'm dumb because I don't know what I'm talking about because 20 kilometers down the street, there is water that's flowing. And we can get into the numerology of it all, and I don't have time to do that, but it means a whole lot more than just there was all these springs of water and there were 70 palm trees, right? Because let's just be honest, 70 palm trees and and 2.5 million people, that's not going to do a lot, but it's representative of God desires you to live to be in a different uh, context, to to be doing differently than what you're doing, to not always stay in the land of Mara. Now here's the thing, and I'll, I'll end with this. If you are walking through a Mara situation right now, God does not desire for you to stay there forever. However, that doesn't guarantee that deliverance is gonna come on this side of eternity at the same time. And that's really hard. That's really hard. Because I want to be done with whatever I'm going through like yesterday. And in those moments, we have to say to ourselves, All right, God, your grace is sufficient. I will boast all the more of my weaknesses. Because when I'm weak, you are strong. There's a young lady in our church. Most of you don't know her because she hasn't been here in many, many years. Her name is Gabby. Gabby, at the age of 24, um, was diagnosed with cancer. She's been fighting that battle now for, Jeremy, what, three, four years now? Yeah. Gabby is a very godly young woman. She helped start the church. And I know Gabby prays for restoration. Jeremy and Isaac and Larry and myself, we, we pray all the time as elders. Man, God, would you just take the cancer away? So I see 24, so what, she's 28 now. So in the beginning, when she started cancer treatments, um, you had to see a Counselor. And so um, I called her one day and I said, hey, Gabby, how's it going? She goes, it's going really good. Um, The cancer center in Tulsa thinks that I'm suicidal. And I said, are you? (laughs) I mean, that's the first question you should always ask, right? Like, are you? She goes, no. And I go, well, why would they think that? She goes, well, the counselor that they got me meeting with was asking me about, you know, just my feelings on things. And I I, I told them, you know what? I don't want to die but it's okay if I do. And they thought, this girl is suicidal. And so there was a laundry list of questions that came after that. She had to explain herself. And her counselor was not a believer, still could not wrap their minds around how a 24, 25-year-old young lady who was on the doorstep of, of, of death at that point, they didn't know how much longer she was gonna last. Like, they didn't. How could you say that? She finally said, can you just give me a Christian counselor? Like They're not going to understand anything that I say from this point forward. If you think I'm suicidal, with just saying I'm okay with going home. See, does Gabby want to be healed of cancer? Oh, absolutely. She's engaged. She's going to get married this March. I get to do the wedding. I thought Gabby was going to be dead three years ago. I'm serious. And God keeps sustaining her. But Gabby knows healing will come. Would she prefer for it to come in the miraculous of cancer is gone and she can live another 40, 50, 60 years? Absolutely. But Gabby knows that ultimate healing will come on the other side where death cannot touch her and sin and sorrow do not exist. God does not desire to keep us in Mara forever. He wants us to go down the road to Elam. But if he chooses to keep us there, his grace is sufficient in all things. And in my weakness, in my maras, I will boast, not because I'm happy, but because when I am weak, he is strong. What mara are you facing today? God is Jehovah Rapha. He is the healer. He desires for you to walk in obedience, because it's the best way. Let me pray for you. Father, I come to you in the mighty name of Jesus. And I pray for every person in this room. It is impossible for all of us to know everyone. It's impossible if we know what type of maras everyone's walking through right now. But Father, I do know this. If they are believers this morning, if they have placed their faith and trust in you, God, I know that you promise that your grace is sufficient to carry them through that time. That because of what Jesus did on the cross, you can take the bitterness of what we're going through and you can make it sweet. Doesn't necessarily mean we have to like it, God. But God, we can learn to trust in you, to lean into you, to grow to look more like you. So, Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ who are walking through Mara's type situations right now. I pray that today would be a reminder that God's grace is sufficient in all things. That if they are bitter because there just seems to be no relief in sight, God, help them to internally think to themselves, man, how much am I leaning and trusting into the Lord? Or how much am I trying to do on my own power? Father, I pray for those that might not have a relationship with you. They literally never knew that Jesus died on the cross for their sins. Maybe they've always known something just wasn't right. Something was just off. That the things that this world has offered them, just it doesn't seem to satisfy deep down inside what's wrong. God, I pray that today would be the day that they trust in you as the ultimate Jehovah Rapha, as the one that can heal their soul, as the one that can make sweet their life that sin is making sour right now. Father, I pray that they would just cry out to you, and they would say, God, I am a sinner. I've done wrong, but God, thank you for sending Jesus to die for me the price for my sin, come live inside of my life, be king of my life. So, church, with your eyes closed and your heads bowed, I'm going to ask you just two questions. Number one, if you're a believer this morning and you're going through the Am- Amara type situation, what's your response? Is it one of trust or it's one of bitterness? If it's trust, I would encourage you to just say thank you. (laughs) Thank you that his grace is sufficient to carry you through what you're going through. If you're in the midst of bitterness right now, would you ask him to continue to remind you? Remind you that his grace is sufficient. And that he's got you there for a reason. To grow you, not to harm you to build you up. Secondly, if you're in this room and you've never asked Jesus into your life before, I would ask this. Would you consider giving your life to Jesus this morning? Simply just having a conversation, kind of like what I just did in my prayer. Just asking him to come live inside of your heart, to cry upon him. Romans 10, 13 tells us, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is a promise. You can take that to the bank. It's true every time. Wrestle with the Lord right now, folks. When you're done, I would ask you whether you're a believer or a non-believer, would you stand to your feet when you're done talking to the Lord about whatever it is that's going on in your life and join Grant and the band as they sing, but not until you wrestle with the Lord over this. Father, would you break the bitterness that Mara is bringing into life's people? Would you build up those that are brokenhearted right now? Would you save those that need hope? Grant, let's go ahead. Thanks again for listening to this message. For more information about South Lakes Church, go to slchurch.life.